Welcome to the Good Times of Killing Us podcast. It's your boy David, and I'm joined by K-Town. K-Town! Marquise! Yo, yo, yo! Pay your taxes, we're back! And special <laughs> guest, Matthew Iceberg. Yo, 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 what up now? That's it, that's it, hold on, hold on. That's it, that's it. What am I supposed to do? What? I don't know, Bane has this whole little, you know, extra line know. before I yelled. Mark says, yo, 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 what's up? I also stole one of your taglines. Uh, what's up with you? Uh, I, what, what, what's my thing going to be then? What, what do I, gonna... I don't know, we'll figure it out next time. You're on every episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't have a thing. Uncle K is also in the house uh, silently, but hey, he's awake. He's actually awake. Hey, he's, he's awake here. here. He's here today. Yes, so this is the podcast where we explore the history, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the most controversial people, movements, and organization in our modern world. We'll tell you the story and then give our take, and today we're talking about Japan. Japan! Ever heard of it? Yeah, bitch, you ever heard of fucking Japan? What is Japan? <laughs> it is a nation in the Pacific Ocean, in case you live under a rock, it is a Pacific, it is a, uh, a nation in the Pacific Ocean. The only countries I know is America... Texas, Texas, <laughs> and North Dakota. Well, before we get too deep into our geography lesson, <laughs> let's tell you, I uh, just want to tell you to follow us on Facebook at the Good Times Are Killing Us podcast. We're going to be doing some more live videos virtually on there. Follow us on Instagram uh, at Good Times Killing Us podcast. No spaces there. I haven't posted anything in a while because I haven't felt like it, but I will post some stuff there soon. And you can also follow us on the Twitter at good underscore times underscore dead. Where K-Town, you're also, you know, always pretty active, I guess, on the Twitter. Yeah, I just mainly yell at people. Hey, the Facebook site's pretty active, too. You, you always get updates on each episode on there. We got memes up there. The Facebook is the most active, and that's where you can interact with us the most. If you want to talk to us, tell us what you want us to talk about, any episodes that you think we should talk about, or any spoiler cast. This is something I really want to do. Any spoiler cast that you might want us to, uh, things that you want, movies you want us to watch, and then maybe we'll do an episode on You can it. do whatever you want on there. You can call us out for being problematic. <laughs> you, <Yeah>. can, <laughs> you can talk shit to us. You can do whatever you want. Just hit us up on the Facebook, and that's that's definitely the best way to get a hold of us. And K-Town's got a tweet, but most importantly, I wanted to say, make sure to give us a rating and review on yes. Apple iTunes. Give us that five-star review, because that Tom McDonald episode uh, uh, ruffled some feathers, <laughs> baby. We're driving down to that 4.5 and we got some we do have some new reviews but they're not good ones so i want to read i want to read we promise to read the reviews so i'm going to read these bad reviews so. we tell y'all every time like we'll read your review no matter what you say and here's the proof here's two back-to-back -back bad reviews all right so when we got one from squatch 83 squatch <laughs> and he says Tom McDonald. <laughs> just, not, not Tom McDonald. Tom McDonald. Just banged his hand against his keyboard and just... One star. <laughs> not a fan of your treatment of Tom McDonald. <laughs> Sorry, Squatch. <laughs> Sorry, Squatch, you son of a bitch. Not a fucking fan of Tom McDonald, but we tried, eh? We gave it an honest try. Yo, I love this next review so much. Yeah, we also got another one from Mountain Man 84. These guys love telling you what year they were born, by the way. Damn, 84. <laughs> <laughs> That's your age, Mark. You know what? Fuck you. <laughs> Not that old, by the way. But it said, this one says, three dumb bros. Just three dumb bros. Title says it all. <laughs> that sounds, what like, that a, yeah, that what sounds is, like a dope 70s 
sitcom like three uh, like two broke girls like three dumb bros yeah. dumb bros I kind of like that I kind of like just sit around eating pizza drinking beer being dumb hey correction Mountain Man 84 there's five of us tonight <laughs> yeah five dumb bros <laughs> owned libtard <laughs> yeah lib owned lib owned checkmate lib alrighty guys so you know, and th- that's something that is, like, really important to mention about this episode. Because, like, in this particular episode, we're getting into, like, world history. You wow. know, because usually in this podcast, we talk about, like, controversial, weird stuff. Most of it being based around, like, the United States. Just crazy, weird cult- cults or groups or weird people. But this is kind of a big one because we're talking about the entire history of a nation, which none of us have any kind of ancestry uh, in. Um, we're, we're not really like maybe if you're looking for like a podcast, it's going to explore it in like into the depths of Japanese history from like a historical point of view. I mean, we're going to do that, but like in like an academic point of view, this is not the podcast for you. Yeah. Check out our, our, our track record, man. Look at our catalog. <laughs> yes. This, this will be the history of Japan, but it is going to be from some dumb bros. So <laughs> we're trying our best. So first, we just want I just want to introduce a little bit of a vocabulary word before we get into all of this to kind of just talk about how there's going to be a little bit of a bias. We just got to get this out of the way right now. And that is the word Orientalism, uh, which is a concept that refers to the ways that Asian cultures have been portrayed to us Westerners through art, media, and literature. For this reason, us Westerners tend to have a very mysticized and exaggerated understanding of Japanese culture. And it's worth at least keeping this in mind while trying to understand the complexities of Japanese history and culture, because we've already been given this indoctrinated, basically, oversimplified veneer of everything that Asian culture are in the first place yeah yeah absolutely i think this is a good point to come in on <clears throat> our usual opening of all these episodes and where we're coming where we're coming from and where we're coming at this topic in general uh like you know and it's a weird one because this is a country but yeah. where are we all individually coming from with japan when did you first hear of it and it's also important to think about like where you the listener where like you know where you're coming from with all of this but yeah let's where are we all coming from in terms of our appreciation and love of Japan. Your boy is just going to come out the gate. I fucking love Japan. That shit is... I love Japan. You're the only one here that's been there. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's great. He's been to the Kabuki hotels. (laughs) I don't know what that means, but... um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Probably not. Um, (laughs) Um, But even before you, like, before you had ever been to Japan, how'd you feel about it? I mean, I I just kind of like anybody, you know, there's definitely things that we kind of probably don't realize a lot that we have adopted from, you know, the Japanese and stuff that a lot of us like, and you don't really think too much about it. You know, we all love sushi. Like, I mean, everybody knows that's from Japan, but we just ate a grip of sushi before we recorded. I mean, all of us drive Japanese cars. Yeah, that's true. Uh, (laughs) Toyota, shouts out. Yoda hey, boys. Shout so out. shout to Nissan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they make. I mean, they literally make. They they made my favorite car of all time. What's that? The Skyline. Yeah, R34 Nissan Skyline GTR. Brum, brum. Zoom zoom, bitch. Hey. So uh, God, it, nicknamed Godzilla. So K Town, where are you coming? Yeah. Speaking of Godzilla, where where are you coming from with Japan? I have been a young wannabe uh, Japanese <laughs> boy since. I don't know, as long as I can remember, I my my first like, uh, like the first like big like entertainment things that I got like exposed to was like Star Wars, Godzilla, and Voltron. Voltron was this old anime oh, yeah, from like the eighties, and my dad was obsessed with it. And it was basically like Power Rangers before Power Rangers. 
Like, all the dudes got in, like, individual lion robots and fought, like, the bad guy, and then all the robots came together and formed, like, a giant robot. Like a Megazord yeah, type, yeah, type yeah. thing. It was really dope. And, like, I, ever since then, like, I was obsessed with, like, Japanese, like, entertainment, like, video games, cartoons, like, everything. I was all about it, dude. Dude, I, I mean, a lot of us really were, like, not even thinking yeah. about it, were, you know, we were exposed to that young, like, how many of us know Dragon Ball Z? Like, well, yeah, I mean, that, that was the thing, like, I was watching Dragon Ball Z in fifth grade, like, after school, like, rushing to finish my homework so I could be allowed to watch it at my grandma's house, and then, like, going to church on Sunday, and, like, my pastor up in the pulpit yelling about how, like, China and the Asians were trying to poison our kids against God by showing them all this cool stuff. And that made me love it even more because I was like, yeah, <laughs> fuck. I hate authority. Fuck, fuck these racists. <laughs> and so, like, I mean, Pokemon, like, everything, like, everything, like, entertainment-wise from Japan, like, really, like, just fucking resonated with me. And then, like, when I was, like, a, a chubby, like, uncool, like, fucking nerd, like, when I was older and getting bullied and shit, I would watch, like, these Japanese, like, action films and, like... These dudes were just, like, honorable, like, fucking mystic warriors that, like, took no shit and had code and honor and all this shit. And this shit just resonated with me again. Like, I don't know, dude. I've I've always been about it. I think the same, like, as you guys. Like, growing up, I don't know what this uh, uh, kind of fascination I had with, like, Japanese culture was or how it seeped into my life. But maybe video games and, like, certain cartoons and TV shows and stuff. And I, I didn't really know much about the culture realistically, but, like... There was something about the aesthetic that was cool to me, man. And, like, even getting older and, and seeing, like, movies that kind of, like, uh, would uh, romanticize Japanese culture, like Kill Bill and and such things like that. And just ninjas and samurais, all that shit, I always thought was cool as fuck, dude. I mean, really, can y'all name one other foreign country that exerts more cultural influence on the United States culture than Japan? Uh, the British... I mean, really, though? Like, how many British TV shows do you Come on, come off it, bro. <laughs> how many, All right, we got the language. How many British yeah. buffets are there? Like, I can, uh, I yeah, can no. name at least six okay. sushi buffets in a five-mile no, you're, you're right, you're right. Because we're not eating beans and toast for breakfast, okay? <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I think some... I mean, there's definitely people who watch, like, a lot of British TV shows and movies, but, like... Like you're not driving a British car. I can like I literally can look you're around not eating right British now. Food. I can literally look around right now and probably point out ten things that are Japanese made in this room alone. Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't put out one British thing. You're yeah, right. anything you're that's right. British right. is actually just American. <laughs> like <laughs> that's because like that's kind of like the cultural that we. That's like I mean we of said course what we said, Britain. There it is. <laughs> yeah, right, <we> said. <laughs> goodbye, Britain. We're done with you. We're going Japanese. We're going to. We're we're trying to explore a different like cool foreign culture and yeah i kind of come from the same point of view like i've always been like super fascinated and intrigued with like japanese art and through media mostly i remember watching like uh tortoro when i was young like pokemon when i was young seeing all those shows they really had an impact on me i used to love playing nintendo games playing japanese video games uh you know I, I i got more into anime as i got older i'm not the biggest anime fan but i've definitely enjoyed a good amount of anime um and it's just always been like a thing for me. I've always just been intrigued by their culture. And yeah, this episode is when we're finally going to find out a kind of too long didn't read journey into Japanese history. So are y'all fucking ready? Are y'all ready to do this? We're, this is a big one. Yeah, yeah. It's This is a big one. I am ready. But we forgot to mention, too, that we got to break this down, guys, right? We can't just we're not just going to bust you out a two hour episode about the whole history of Japan. No, we're not going to do that. No, we're going to no. bust you out a two hour episode today. 
And then a two-hour episode next week. Oh, yes. This is this episode is so big that it's going to be our third two-parter. And we're actually going to sandwich in some Godzilla. We're going to get that spoiler cast we've been talking about so damn much yep. in here in between. Somewhere in between that. But, yeah, this is going to be another two-parter. So, saddle up. Let's take a ride. All right. Get ready to suck this dick. Suck this podcast dick. <laughs> <laughs> Stay on the rails. So we're going back all the way to the very beginning. It is estimated that it was somewhere between 45,000 to 30,000 BC that the first humans traveled to Japan, likely over frozen land bridges from northeastern China. Once the ice bridges melted, the first people of Japan, known as the Ainu, and later the Jomon, were believed to become isolated on their long, narrow, mountainous island. Yeah, just hanging out on the island. Uh, their origins are a little bit disputed sometimes, yeah. but uh, but yeah, more than likely came from mainland and stuff, and and from Korea, right? Yeah. Well, uh, apparently, like the first people came from like something a little bit closer to like Russia, really, like the northern oh, wow. part, and then the late. I think the Yayoi people are the ones that came. Okay, from Okay, they came from Korea, but yeah, the Jomon, yeah. they're the ones who are known for like their pottery and stuff. Yeah, that's the main thing everyone talks about is the pottery. It was some <laughs> wild stuff. They used to use, like, ropes and stuff to make these really cool, like, patterns and fucking, um... And then they even got even more elaborate and they got even more crazy uh, years yo, later. Yo, but what was they cooking in these pots? Uh, was it fish? slapping? Was it Rocks fish? and mushrooms. <laughs> just, right, just grass. <laughs> yo, Paleolithic shit. <laughs> yo, that was the thing, man. People, You ever heard of, like, the story of, like, stone soup? Do you th- is that is, it, it could be used maybe as like a flavoring? Is that some British um, shit? I mean, there's like it, it's some Euro- European shit. There's uh, like minerals and shit in <laughs> rocks, I guess. I all right, all right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like you Can get rock like rock salt <coughs> from rocks. Well, speaking of like hard shit, by the Bronze Age, somewhere between 500 and 1000 BC, metals were first introduced by the invading Yayoi people from Korea, who are believed to be the genetic ancestors of most modern Japanese people. Bro, isn't that wild to think about bronze and iron? That like, was a big deal. Yeah, yeah, no, but like... Whole, whole ass ages. But like, so the Bronze Age was replaced by the Iron Age, but bronze is so much more complicated to make and so much less of a uh, strong um, metal than iron is. Iron is like ridic- like takes you a third of the time to make and it's like four times as strong as bronze. And bronze, you literally have to take two different types of metal, melt them down and make something out of it. And iron, you just be like, ooh, iron. <laughs> and like it was just wild that like the advancement was like literally just like, they were just like, oh, this shit's just... A thousand times better. Yeah, oh yeah, that <laughs> bronze shit was trash. Yeah, what Damn. the fuck were we doing? We were just stoked to have metal. <laughs> yeah, that was a huge. It's game. like it we, literally we is make, like we can make tools. It would be like um <laughs> like dry rubbing uh while <laughs> masturbating and then finding lotion <laughs> and like whoa this is way better and easier. Shout out to all my dry boys <laughs> out there. Hey, 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 shout out. Are you a? Dry you, boy? Hold on. Who who hears a dry boy? Who hears a dry boy? All right, you got it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, Off the rails. Well, you know what wasn't dry was Japan, because in addition to fishing, the modernized forms of agriculture, which were introduced by the use of metal instruments, led to the mass cultivation of rice farms, and the people that organized and controlled the means of cultivating these rice farms became the first emperors of Japan. Well, you know how it works. You get Damn. all the food. You know, people need food. First you get the food, then you get the bitches, then you get the power. Oh, yep, pretty much. Don't forget the respect. 
No, you don't need respect when you got bitches and food. True. Yeah. Um, hand in hand. So we don't know exactly who the first actual emperor of Japan, but the mythological first emperor of Japan was Emperor Jimmu. Was George Washington. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yep. Uh, who, who lived during the 8th century BC. Emperor Jimmu. Jimmu. And I'm not entirely... Okay, by the way... We might get some pronunciations wrong, guys. We're definitely gonna get some pronunciations wrong, but we're we're trying. We're There's trying. some white guy in a five uh, X shirt right now, <laughs> sweating with his Dor- wiping Doritos off his chest and being like, "It's actually Jimume." <laughs> Honestly, so don't be that guy. Don't disrespect my culture. These dumb bros. I'm saving up all my inheritance to go to Japan one day. Well, I'll finally be respected. That's that's. There's a lot. That's a story of many people. Actually. I'm gonna go there, and a time warp's gonna happen. And I'm gonna be in my favorite isekai uh, anime, and I'm gonna be in a different world and fall in love with a big titted princess. Uh-oh. But I'm gonna start with correcting your pronunciation. <laughs> The way I get my powers is from correcting you first. <laughs> Harness. While you were out having premarital sex, I was studying the blade. I was studying grammar. So it's impar- It's also important to mention that it was during the early years of the Yayoi people that we know of the first known evidence of the existence of the Shinto religion, which is the indigenous religion exclusive to Japan. Yeah, so Shinto goes all the way back to the Yayoi. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about three, about a thousand BC. Yeah, we're talking about pots, baby! Yeah, well, not, these are, these are the, these are the metal people. These are the, oh, no, we ain't talking about pots no more. We're talking about uh, bronze, baby! You're not really, you're not gonna hang around when you, all you got is clay pots and then here come some other people with fucking bronze spears. Yeah, you imagine like trying to throw a pot at somebody. And And they're like, we can make rice mad fast. So like, what's your deal? What's your deal? (laughs) You just got some bitch ass pot. Yeah, you can, yeah, those pots look sick, but like. Yeah, nice pot. What's it full of? I'm an emperor Nothing. now. I'm an emperor now. I got all the rice. Yeah, I'm an emperor now because I got a rice farm. So, so fuck you. So you can work for me, or you can bring your pot on the farm, put some rice in it. So Shintoism, to kind of grossly oversimplify it, basically refers to the worship of one's ancestors, nature, and most importantly, the kami, which were spirits believed to occupy all physical objects and concepts. This is also the religion where we get the Tori gates, uh, which are like that most like recognizable symbol. You know those gates that the, you see? The red gate. They're like, usually they're red. All. It's like, it's like the two red, red games with and like the, the kami? Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't know, support man. no kami. I don't know, brother. <laughs> God. I don't know. This is my podcast, brother. Are you guys tankies or leftists? <laughs> so today there are actually over eight million kami. By the way, this is still like even though like uh, Japan is kind of a more secular culture, Shintoism is still like a very big deal in the country today, and they're still making kami's all the time, busting them bad boys out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's more of just like a like a tradition thing. Like they, mm-hmm. you know, they go and toss the coin in the well and stuff like that, and pray to them. I don't think a lot of them are, like, super religious. They just kind of do it, just, you know, like, this how is many, what we do. How many kami are there today? It's like, over 8 million. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's a kami. Your computer has a kami. Like, there's a kami in our, our beer. In our microphones. Like, yeah. everything. everything. Everything has a spirit. It's like midichlorians. It. 
Uh, oh, no. Now no. it makes sense. Okay. Makes sense. Hey, save right, that see. Star Wars minute for uh, the end of the segment. Yeah, hey, Kane, I did geez, yours last time. Jump right, fine, fine, fine. So throughout the next few hundred years, Japan would see the rise of various kingdoms vying for power, but it was the Yamamatai kingdom, believed to have been ruled by a female monarch and Shinto shaman named Himiko, which would ultimately become the dominant controller of a unified Japan by the 3rd century A.D., yeah, Himiko, man. Yeah, she was she was probably one of the first people to start trying to unify all these separate kingdoms in Japan. And this is the Kofun period, right? Is yeah, it around the I Kofun? So, yeah. so like, yeah, she was one of the first people that I I think uh um maybe not one of the first, but in her time is when this Kofun uh burial mound thing was really popular. It was apparently because Kofun means ancient burial mound in Japanese. Mm-hmm. There was these huge, like, structures that they would bury their emperors or kings and queens or whatever in. And, like... Almost kind of like a like an Egyptian sarcophagus. Of, like, yeah, exactly. You know, and they're shaped... They would shape like a keyhole from, like, a, a bird's eye view. It looks like mm. a key. But there's, like... It's like a treasure trove of all this, like, ancient knowledge and stuff. Stuff that we could learn about this period. Mm. But even still to this day... It's like you can't really they they the emperor keeps you can't you can't do any archaeological digs or anything. Until still yeah, and if you've them. ever played Tomb Raider, <laughs> the newer ones, you would know this because Him you try yeah yo you try to go in the that tomb, a lot of shit's coming it's, after you. You're not gonna have a good time. You're not gonna have a good time. What is like? Isn't it like actually like someone named Himiko in yeah. the game? <laughs> no, 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 yeah, no. Yeah, no. You go into princess. the tomb of Himiko, yeah, oh, wow. and then the life, the you spirit. get cursed, and like all yeah. this, like you got to. Like, okay. It fight. was like ancient, like Egyptian stuff, because they used to bury their their servants with them and stuff. And Himiko was actually one of the people who stopped that human sacrifice with them and started. Uh, Having the clay like uh, clay artifacts buried instead as like homage to their servants and She's stuff. Like, we don't need to be killing all of our servants, but guys. It's, really, it's yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy though because there's like these, there's so many of them in Japan still today, dude. There's over a hundred and sixty-one thousand of these Kofun things, and they're like huge, bro. Like uh, the biggest one is uh four hundred meters Jesus. and and takes over like eighty acres. So these things are just like out there. Yeah, dude. Right. There's there's uh over sixteen hundred in just the Hyungo province alone. Like Jesus. so, these are not like like hidden or anything. They're like so. It's weird that like no one ever hears about this. But this this particular period like kind of like stood out to me. I was like, wait, what? This is kind of like the period like that's would be like equivalent of like maybe like Arthurian legend or something like that in like you know like England or something. You yeah. Know? Like, this is like a kind of a, a semi mythological period where like there's so much evidence of it. It's just like it's just fascinating because we don't really know what was really going on. Back yeah, then. L- look them up, man. It's not like a it's not like a, a conspiracy thing. Look them up. They're, Kofun is K O F U N. Yeah, they look really cool. Yeah. So after the relative unification of Japan, the nationals of the country began seeking influence and recognition from the Big Brother neighbors in China, which saw the influence and spread of Confucianism, Buddhism, and the Chinese writing system to, to Japan, which have all continued to be massive staples of Japanese culture and society ever since. So Japan was just like. Like the kid in class, like copying China's homework. Yeah, yeah. Kind they're of, like yeah. the little they're brother. Like, oh, oh, your government? Oh, that's nice. Oh, your your alphabet? Yo, that's that's pretty dope. I think um, of a more of like the little brother who is like, oh shit, that alphabet's sick. Like that my brother's mm-hmm. working on in there, and they're just like, let me just uh, borrow some of that. He's got some sick records. Let me listen to this. This is a headbanger. 
You know, yeah, they were I, just like China's little brother at first. No, no, they were more like uh, the like Elvis and the Beatles, like just stealing shit from black people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it was the whole time. <laughs> yeah, they just ripped from China, man. They already got something going on. Well, there definitely was kind of like a weird situation going on between Japan and China, where like Japan was always like, yeah, like we're like them boys, like we have our island, like we have our own emperor and everything. We're gonna borrow some stuff from you, and China's always kind of like. All right, guys. All right. Yeah, well, big deal. Whatever. You know. So one time, I see actually, your puny little island over there. Yeah, like they didn't really take Japan seriously not for a while. Impressed. But Japan was like, someday we will not need y'all anymore. And it was interesting about Japan. Really, is like this is the first time where like, I mean, they've always been influenced by China in some in some degree, but they've always been like influenced by one culture while also retaining so many other aspects of their own. Yeah. yeah. One day, China, we're going to come to you. Yes. So one day we're going to come for you <laughs> and we're going to do some things. And this issue between Japan and China actually led to a prince named Shotoku around the seventh century, sending an infamous letter to a Chinese leader, which roughly translates as saying from the son of heaven in the land where the sun rises to the son of heaven in the land where the sun sits. Yes. So basically that's the first time that Japan was referred to as a place where the sun rises. And this translation of the words where the sun rises is where we got the name of the titular nation as it's still known today, Nippon. Nippon. Yeah. That's the actual name of Japan. The name of Japan as known in Japan is not even Japan. It's Nippon. I'm trying. I'm. I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. Like, don't. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. There's a. There's a lot of things I just want to yell out, but I'm not because I know it's wrong and I'm not gonna do it. K Town's on his best behavior. Right? I respect the people. I think it's problematic, and I'm not gonna do it. We're not doing any accents. Cut it out, guys. Nope. Nope. None of those. So everything up to this point, Japan was was called Yamoto, and even earlier in its history, it was just called Wa. So the name Japan, as we call it, is actually just an international name, similar to how Germany is actually called Deutschland. Not Deutschland. 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 <laughs> Could you imagine just being like, yeah, I'm from Wa. I'm from Wa. It sounds kind of sick, honestly. Yeah, Wa. Wa. Yeah. Yo, where you, yo, where are you rapping? Wa. <laughs> uh, okay, Waluigi. <laughs> <laughs> Wa. 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 That's how they said it? Wa. Yes, I'm from Wa. <laughs> Wa. So, uh, the name Japan actually just came from European traders who misinterpreted the ways that other nearby Asian countries had referred to Japan, which would have actually originally sounded something like Japong, which is just another country's translation of the same word. So, basically, like, we played telephone with it, and we're, like, two, like, three generations away from, like, their actual name. Yeah, Japan is just what we got stuck with. I mean, that's yeah. not what they were calling it. It's like yeah. the guy at work that, like, you know, the new the new person comes in and they have a complicated name. They're like, you're just Jimothy now. Can I just call you Japan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, they're like, Nippon. Me what? You mean Japan. I'm just gonna call you Japan. I like that. So by the 8th century, Japan saw the beginning of the Heian period, which brought the nation into an age of increasingly complex political and social organization. Thus, the powers of the Fujiwara, Taira, Minamoto, and Tachibana clans were all vying for control, and this division of power created static between all the opposing clans, all while still technically being under the control of the Japanese Empire. You know what so, Heian and Tachibana reminds me of, right? What's that? Benihana's. Oh my god. <laughs> I was like, I was trying to put like a serious note in there. Well, well it, 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 all these families are like fighting for power. All, like you said, under the under still the emperor's rule, technically. But 
people are getting powerful and they're running different yeah. things. And then, then you know, yeah, I guess this is under the emperor's eye, you know. Under his yeah, but how much eye. is he really seeing? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. he's just a figurehead at this point, kind of. Yeah, like they is, let him be emperor. This you know? is the beginnings he's of dressing that. Dressing the part, he's. You know, he's probably in control of, like, these people listen to him, but, like, really? What, he's also what? just chilling in a palace, and he's just like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sweat. ordained by God. I mean, he, is he, he's not really, he's not doing anything. They're he's not, not coming <laughs> at your boy, you know? I'm not sweating this shit. Yeah, but, like, he's not, he's not making any moves to, like, progress anything. He's just chilling in a fucking castle dynasty it, like fucking it's chilling. a nice gig man and he doesn't have to worry about anyone coming for his head. i mean dude speaking speaking of which like a big reason it's actually blamed that like the emperor the empire was starting to lose control was because they were getting obsessed with like uh like painting and poetry and calligraphy all stuff that had been influenced by the chinese so they just became so interested in art that they were just too distracted to even notice their country just going fucking crazy yeah like, so the emperor's like chilling he's like i want that painting like, yeah um let me uh read meanwhile there's like a dude book. behind him just like ah just getting his head cut off and he's just like oh those are just citizens i'm the fucking emperor i, don't I grow give a tired shit. i grow tired of these peasants poor people and weary <laughs> i grow, I grow so weary peasants. <laughs> show me some art yeah so around the 11 move me so by the 11th century, the imperial class had lost a great deal of control over the country as some groups began to resist and rebel against the empire entirely. Amidst oh, so now they are rebelling against the empire. Yeah. They I are coming for our neck now. Yeah. Dude! <laughs> He's like, dude, Wait. I just wanted to spread, like, art and poetry. Dude. I just think about that Dave Chappelle meme where he's, like, got a crown on his head and a bunch of money. He's like, oh, you're going to come at me? <laughs> like, <laughs> so while fighting with a, a bunch of far northern factions of rebels, the imperial and landowning classes were like, holy shit, like there is a lot going on. So they oversaw the creation of the country's first specially trained military unit within the Japanese Empire, otherwise known as the Bushi, but more commonly known today as the Samurai. You know what the fuck we're talking about. The Samurai. Because before this, this was just a bunch of villagers with fucking stakes and shit, yeah. right? They weren't really hitting on much, you know? They were like, I mean, I'm sure they were killing each other. We can all kill each other with yeah. fucking any sharp object, but... The samurai is when we started focusing exclusively on a warrior class. Yes. The yes. people who just battled for work, <laughs> like, you know, and uh, they got really good at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to think that originally it was because they were just like really well funded by the empire and a bunch of like rich landowners, basically. It was like, all right, yeah. we'll oversee the funding of this so we can have the most powerful military so that we can kind of like take over that hopefully we, we uh, like kind of uh, obtain some type of normal again. Yeah, yeah. Trying to get back some kind of structure. So a bunch of rich people are hiring a bunch of these professional fucking warriors. Yes. And uh, still vying for power, but now like way more strategically. <laughs> yes. And, and as a samurai class kind of became their own thing, they eventually developed a system of leadership in which they had a leader named a shogun who not only served as a militant general, but also as a sort of spiritual guide, has the master of Bushido, which roughly translates to the way of the warrior, which is basically the same thing as what we think of when we think chivalry with knights in Europe. Yeah, yeah, there's a parallel between uh, the samurai and then the old English knight knighthood. Uh, but there's a lot of shit. Do you want to get into it? There's a lot of shit about the Bushido that, like we said, between Orientalism that we we're taught. 
like yeah. or that, that we were kind of learned growing up that isn't really it's a lot of it's been romanticized and isn't really the way that it was but yeah they, i think they i mean they had the word bushi at this time which meant like warriors but really like the idea of the bushido didn't really come into play a long time after this but bushido just translates to way of the warrior and the thing is, is like there always was some type of like structure and philosophy to this warrior class of people, but they didn't necessarily call it Bushido. It, it doesn't really go back that far, whatever that concept or word is. It's usually just kind of like, like yes, Bushido, that always refers to this, but the Bushido didn't really exist for that long at all. Yeah, yeah, it, it wasn't the code that you would think it, it was now. It was just a warrior code. It was a code, it was a code, but it wasn't It's something based in specifically honor and 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 such like that like, not necessarily i mean that was definitely a part of it it but, was you know. but like it, it, it i think a lot of that gets hyped up in a different way now yeah yeah definitely i mean we we can't really truly understand all of this really and we we often do have a habit of oversimplifying and romanticizing yeah. samurai no doubt about it that's like definitely i think the samurai as far as like a kind of like almost mythologized like figure is like one of the biggest in like the whole pantheon of what we all know in stories. Well, yeah, because I mean they were they were real, like they were there, yeah. but like the way that you think about samurai when you think of samurai is completely, you know, romanticized and, you know, uh exaggerated to yeah. some degree no matter like Absolutely. in what form. A lot of that shit as you probably know is like wrong. Like they mostly uh trained with I mean uh, in the beginning used bows and arrows cuz the katana wasn't even anywhere around yet. Yeah. And really it just makes more sense if you're really good at like shooting a bow and arrow on the back of a horse, why are you going to get off your horse? And, yeah, like, yeah. You <laughs> a mounted warrior is always better than a footed, you know. Well, yeah. Come on, guys. You got to take the high ground. So after this period and after some relative peace had been achieved throughout the country, the samurai began working his high hands for nobles and the rest of the rich and powerful until they became actually the most powerful class in all of society they became like more powerful than the people that were paying them basically because they were the total enforcers of like organization in the society yeah they were the muscle man who's gonna fucking make this shit happen if you really when it comes when push comes to shove who's winning these battles man yeah i, I think a big part of this actually has to do with the fact that the samurai even though it might have been called it might not have been called bushido they did kind of have a little bit more of a moral code because they were very much like influenced by like confucianism and buddhism so i think the samurai like even like unlike because the equivalent of like a samurai today would just be like a bunch of police. Yeah. yeah but, but imagine it, if we put a bunch so, of our police in charge of everything. But if you think about it, so like basically the samurai are getting paid by these rich, you know, powerful people or whatever. And they have some type of code, some moral code or whatever. And at some point they're realizing these rich, powerful people aren't doing for the rest of the people like mm. they should be, right? Probably. And they're like, okay, well, we have this moral code, this moral compass or whatever. Well, what's... What's stopping us from taking the money from them? Because they don't. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's kind of it's like that, but except that just like the rich people, they were, the samurai didn't give a shit about the common man. They were notoriously. I mean, they were just like cops nowadays. Okay. Yeah, like literally, were, yeah. the samurai were basically just dick cops that <laughs> literally had a power trip that were we're better than everyone else in this country because we're the ones with the guns. And that became the social structure for a while, <laughs> yeah. right? With, with I mean, Samurai's at the top at in that sense, but, like, really at the bottom of the top because then it became, you know, you got your peasants and merchants and whatever under Samurai, but then uh, under Samurai they had their da daimyo or daimyo who mm -hmm. was, like, the, the, like, 
regional manager of all the samurai. You say yeah. you'd have hundreds or you know hundreds of daimyo and then thousands or millions of samurai, and then they would uh, answer to a shogun in yeah. these areas. So like they really samurai became at the bottom of the totem. Yeah, and then and just under the shogun, like then the emperor. Yeah. But, well, I mean, yeah, basically what had happened was, like, there were so many conflicts that had gone on throughout Japan, like, all these different vying fact, uh, factions were, like, getting their own samurai, the most powerful people could get a samurai, the richer your clan was, the more samurai you could get, um, and, e and eventually, like, they realized, like, wow, samurai are solving all the problems here, like, they're the ones who are solving every single conflict, um, and the samurai eventually obtained more political power than the emperor himself the emperor was just at this point a purely symbolic member of society he was technically the highest ranking but he still was just like he wasn't doing shit yeah, i mean what if he what if he said something figurehead. to samurai yeah, yeah. samurai he was gonna be like oh you you should do this and they're like nah that's dumb uh, yeah we will fucking chop your head off <laughs> and in fact like this period is like considered so significant that this is called the shogunate this is a totally different system of government so the first period of Japanese history under the shogunate was the Kamakura period, named after the Kamakura clan, which lasted roughly between the 12th and 14th century. After a brief and relative peace in the country during early years, the country's military dictatorship made way for a very rigid, feudalistic class structure and the decentralization of various city-states throughout the nation. So we're in feudalism, baby! Yeah, so we're now in I'm, feudal Japan. I'm hey. kind of curious. They said we'd never make it to feudal Japan. <laughs> But here we yeah, are. They said we'd never make it. But um, so I'm kind of curious, like if this Kamakura is is the same one that I visited when I was in Japan, because yeah. I went to a town called Kamakura. Oh really? And there was a uh, what was called the Daibutsu. It was a it was a big Buddha statue made out of like metal, and it was like when they first started um learning how to do like some type of like architecture there was like a certain structure they used to build this big metal uh buddha, buddha. statue and i went and visited that they had a bunch of like different shrines and stuff that you could see but like i'm not i don't know for a fact i didn't look it up you know in relation yeah. to where i was at if this is the same i think i, th I do think of. i do think that like uh many of like the last names of like uh shogunate leader of shoguns or emperors did become the names of japanese places mm -hmm. like cities and towns so i th i think there might be something there but i don't want to misspeak either, yeah so um but so let's talk a little bit about the organization of the Japanese feudal system so at the very top we've got the emperor who is the technical leader of the country who was believed to be ordained by the heavens so they're all like look guys we the gods said if you if you believe real japanese shinto religion we're the ones in charge because we're ordained by heaven yeah yeah we're fucking divine you know ordained by god so like yeah according to shinto so don't come for our next this time guys right? yeah yeah like this time we're good good so, but in reality <laughs> the shogun was the actual de facto leader of the country but technically they were just a they were just, a rank below but not for real a rung below the emperor, you know, just below. But really, they're running shit. Yeah, and just below the shogun were the daimyos, or the vassals on behalf of the shogunate that owned land and hired various samurai. So these are like kind of the big bosses who actually own some of these tiny little like villages, pretty much, and like have people serve them. Um, they're like kind of the providers and protectors of people. Yeah, think of the daimyos as like the assistant to the regional manager. Man. Yes, like exactly. They're just holding down regions, talking to, you know, directing many samurai in many different positions. The big thing, too, was that they had to employ... 
their samurai, every samurai that worked on the, the daimyos, they had to employ in some way or another. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's been really wild accounts where, like, samurai. I heard some story of, like, a daimyo having a samurai who manage the guy who held his umbrella (laughs) (laughs) he just managed the peasant holding the umbrella for the daimyo i think to a degree all you need to be considered a samurai is to have a master daimyo really as soon as you got a dude then you're a samurai otherwise you're a ronin meaning you don't have an owner or or a master uh but yeah so the samurai of course were a step below the daimyo in the japanese feudal system who were, of course, the warriors of the land, who are also loyal to the Daimyo Masters, while also being a very respected, but also feared class throughout, like, all the other lower classes. Like K-Town said, they were kind of, like, cops, in a way. They're dickheads. Yeah. And this is where it gets interesting, actually. Like, the um, the Japanese feudal system is actually inherited from the Chinese feudal system, only in the Chinese feudal system at this time. They had scholars uh, instead of Daimyo and Samurai. But the next, the order of the next three... Uh, classes down is really interesting to me. So below the samurai were the peasants, who were the people that made raw goods and food, and below them were the artisans, people who used those raw goods to create specially crafted items, and at the very bottom, the lowest rung of society, besides like, you know, people that like just scoop shit all day, or the merchants, the people who just sold the products. Well, yeah, they, they thought of it that way because like the merchants really just didn't really make anything. They just sold money. They're sold just the things. shopkeepers. Yeah, sold like. things based off of, <laughs> sold things off of the, the like work of someone else, you know? So, like, what are you even doing, dude? I mean, but that's like a... I get I it mean, a little bit. I mean, so, like, in today's world, like, those people are up there. You know, you can talk. You can sell a good to somebody. Yeah, it's yeah. totally reversed. Like, like the people making yeah. the... Like, people making the product get, like... Get the worst on, treatment whatsoever, yeah. And the artisans are, like, a little bit uh, higher than them. And then the merchants are the ones that make all the money because they're the ones that actually deal with the money, you know? So it's a really interesting how, like, just, like, they had a different kind of, like, way of organizing their society. Totally different from, like, capitalism, I guess. Um, so it's also during this period that one of the most brutal and famous samurai rituals would come into play. Let's talk about Seppuku. Let's talk about it. Hey, so seppuku, otherwise known as harikiri, is a form of ritual suicide on the behalf of a samurai who considered it to be an honorable act to kill themselves either before being captured by an enemy or facing some sort of supreme dishonor. So honor did play a role in the samurai's like code. It and it was uh, it was death before dishonor. Yeah, they really believed in that shit, and that's going to come into play a lot in our next episode. Stay tuned, but. They they really believed that before you would dishonor yourself or, or your uh, your clan or your family that you would you would die and if there was an extreme dishonor upon you, it was uh, your uh, duty as a samurai to take your own life. Yeah, yeah, it was and actually in, considered in, an like if you you could be executed, like someone would capture you, like if they respected you, they would say. You may commit seppuku. Yeah, We're I'm going to give you, you. Yeah, I'm going to give you this fucking out right now. I mean, because yeah. it was your last chance of, of claiming your honor. You know, after after a, a supreme like act of dishonor. Or something, yeah, versus so. like uh, pleading for your life or whatever. It was just like, hey, look, you're captured. You're gonna die either way. Right, yeah, like yeah. either we're gonna kill you or like you can go out. You might as well do it. You can sick. go out like a fucking true king and commit. And commits, but don't get us twisted. 
Because seppuku, to commit seppuku was like a tall order. Yeah, let's talk about what seppuku actually was. So, while the actual practice of seppuku had not been totally standardized until about the 17th century, uh, the main practice of ritual seppuku for a long time was for disgraced samurai to cut into their stomach using a a short sword or blade, such as a a wakazashi, to rip into their abdomen while waiting to bleed out and die. And a lot of samurai were reported to have sunk the blade into their lower stomach twist and curve the blade through their gut so as to totally disembowel and see that was like that was my first um like thing that i had heard about it It was like it was some fucking brutal shit it was brutal like i I knew what seppuku was when i was like fucking in like middle school elementary school it's one of those cool metal things you hear about when you're like well that's brutal (laughs) exactly like but but yeah, so th- as you can imagine, this was not fucking easy to do. Like yeah, a lot of time, a, no, because most look, of the time people went go that way. Look, people like, went at having to like give themselves a shot or yeah, whatever, like something <laughs> like that or like whatever. Well, we're soy boys, like I mean, like diluted yeah. d- diluted through the centuries from these dudes. Like, but even still. Like I don't think fucking, other cultures were doing shit like this. I'm I don't just know. saying, like, to, this to, is pretty badass. It didn't really work out even for those fucking OGs. Like, yeah. and a lot of times, it, it, you would have to have a second there. They have your their daimyo or a second as a friend would be there if you couldn't finish the act or if it looked like you were hesitating. Yeah, and they would cut your fucking head off. That part of it became more formalized by like the Edo period. But like at this at this time period, it was just like there was some of that. That was those were like the smart ones who were yeah. doing it really like like classy style. But I'm like, sure there were a lot of half-hearted I mean, seppuku's out there. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if they were the smart ones. They just they they were the tough boys. They well, were, uh, there are some I other. Mean, cr- well, what's interesting is there are actually other really forms of crazy seppuku that I found out about in this research. Uh, some samurai would just straight up stab themselves in the throat, fuck. And, and some of them would position a blade at their heart while standing straight up. And then they would just purposely fall down until the blade just pierced right into their body. All yeah, of these do like, sound easier than traditional. Yes, sepicure. exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> they still tell. sound easier because you're piercing through the heart. You nah, know, right. done, death, one and done, done. No, you are disemboweling yourself. You are not <laughs> dying immediately. Fucking... You're seeing your organs, your intestines out, and you have like, to do it. Like yeah. if someone else is doing that to you, you're, you're like you're like, fucking uh, there the whole time. Like you're, yeah. like, you're gonna see that. But you dude, know, if you move just a little bit more, it's going to hurt more. Like <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think more. like it's physically. It's really get take something out like like K-Town said in the last episode I think like to seppuku really take something out of you man like how do you continue <laughs> yeah. with that that's a wild um, one yeah but, but yeah so later on yeah they it did become like later on a little more formalized where you would have a second who cut your head off and this was also even still like really um uh, a sacred thing where in order to not disrespect the clan or disrespect the uh, the person committing uh seppuku or that you're cutting their head off they became so precise with this where they would leave, like, they would cut your head off and leave just a fucking flap of skin. So <laughs> your head would, like, flap down and not, like, roll around and offend any other people, like, around. I bet that they were just like, all right, if I just get the spine, I'm good. There's probably sometimes where there was, like, a thick piece of meat. <laughs> if you gotta, if you gotta chop your fucking samurai's head, like, in more than one swipe, that ain't it, baby. No, Bro, would no, you, would no, y'all... your sword's not sharp enough for yeah. one. Well, You've I'll... disgraced yourself. You might as well commit seppuku yourself. This is disgrace upon disgrace. Yeah, yeah this yeah. is like a hat on a hat. Yeah, no, dude, like, <laughs> if you're the, if you're the guy and you fuck this up, like yeah. you're next in line, baby. Yeah. Well, a lot of the times, like uh, the per- their second would be like the most skilled friend. 
So they're like, it would be like kind of like an honor to cut your boy's head off. So I gotta ask y'all. Yo, I was about to say, y'all yeah, cutting your we, boy's head off? I mean, if I'm dishonored and I ha- and like, would y'all do that for me, bro? If you're going through that much agony, like if it's quick, you know, easy done, like so, I'll, I will, I will you, save my boy. You, who would you want to cut your head off? Um, I feel like you'd be pretty strong, K Town. You'd probably yeah. have the, the strongest. Yeah, K Town. I feel like you could do it. I think, and I'm, I'm gonna, also I'm, the only person in this room that's actually cut a head off. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, true. Because you're like, uh, yeah, you're working like a. Uh, no, 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 that's not true. Would you uh, cut heads you, off? You cut I, I cut a deer's head off. Oh, okay. Nice. So we got a dog's head, a deer's head. This is great. <laughs> I mean, uh, um, yeah. I'm gonna say uh, I would cut y'all's heads off. Thanks, dude. To to yeah to protect y'all's honor, I would okay. do that for you all. Yeah, yeah, so no problem. Saying. Yeah, no problem. It would it cost a lot for me. It would really take a lot for me. But Be for tough. y'all, I would do it for my kings. I would. Yeah, with a with Dang. a tear rolling down your face. Absolutely. Hey, well, you know how they were a on some. Tier. You know a how they were tier. on some real king shit. Is before they would commit seppuku, they would usually have a drink of some sake, and they'd write a little poem, and then they go out and just let it roll. A haiku. Uh, write a little morbid death poem. I yep. like it. I like it. That's some fucking real like. I mean, it doesn't have to be morbid. It could be like the beauty of life. It mm. could be like I saw the trees and the. In wind context, blew. it's still like, morbid. I feel like. I mean, God, yes, like, but it's, it's like the last my thing last. You wrote before you died. My last. My last. <laughs> well, you know, I think. Scene. I think a big thing about the samurai is like a, a, such a big part of their code was the idea that like you <laughs> could die at any moment. Yeah, that was a big part of samurai. What if I had to cut my head off in my note like that I left? It just said. Goodbye, cruel world. <laughs> like, like, uh, like lipsticks on it or something like yeah. that. <laughs> Those are my last words, like ever. If fucking uh, dead for mayhem commits seppuku, it'd just be a haiku that says "excuse the mess." Yeah. Something, something like that. <laughs> All right. So moving on with the history. While Japan had encountered countless internal battles throughout their history, it wasn't really until the 13th century that they would meet their first serious culturally existential threat. The invasion of the Mongols. Oh, those fucking Mongols, man! Fucking These fucking Mongols taking over everything. Oh, no. okay. <laughs> don't you do? We're not doing any accents, guys. So before the infamous invasion, the son of Genghis Khan, Kublai Khan, had sent a very passive-aggressive letter to the Japanese that read, "Cherished by the Mandate of Heaven, the Great Mongol Emperor sends this letter to the King of Japan." The sovereigns of small countries, sharing borders with each other, have for a long time been concerned to communicate with each other and become friendly. Especially since my ancestors, governed by at heaven's command, innumerable countries from afar disputed our power and slighted our virtue. Goryeo rendered thanks for my ceasefire and for restoring their land and people when I ascended the throne. Our relation is feudatory. Like father and son, we think you already know this. Goryeo is my eastern tributary. Japan was allied with Goryeo and sometimes with China since the founding of your country. However, Japan has never dispatched ambassadors since my ascending the throne. We are afraid that the kingdom is yet to know this. Hence, we dispatched a mission with our letter particularly expressing our wishes. Enter into friendly relations with each other from now on. We think all countries belong to one family. How are we in the right unless we comprehend this? Nobody would wish this to resort to arms. 
So there was, ladies and gentlemen. Kubla, Kubla Khan was a weird, uh, like, southern man. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize he was from the south. Yeah, he was just sunning Japan. <laughs> um, so... Uh, I'm going to feast my eyes on that Japan. <laughs> yeah, and after he sent that, basically, uh, Japan just ignored them. He, they just Japan pretty much left him on red after that. Damn. Damn, they yeah. left him on scene. Yeah, Damn. they didn't say anything. The daddy Dom literally entered the Discord room and was like, I'm daddy now. And then the E thought was like, no. just left the room. Daddy Khan has entered the chat. <laughs> so, um, Kubla daddy. So when the Mongols got furious with like Japan not responded, they finally just invaded Japan um, and the samurai fought really nobly, but they were still at odds against the superior fighting force of the Mongol army. There's a lot. I mean, the Mongols were going hard, man. It's yeah. a lot to take in and they weren't, I mean, they, they fought, but they weren't really, uh, they needed, they needed a fucking miracle, man. Yes, they needed a pure miracle miracle <laughs> but a pure miracle <laughs> yeah so at their hour of need a straight up typhoon hit the mongol army wiping out two-thirds of their naval fleet and the japanese refer to this typhoon as the divine wind or maybe a more recognizable word the kamikaze the kamikaze took out two-thirds of our forces <laughs> genghis khan i've <laughs> Grandfather Genghis Khan would not be pleased. <laughs> the small island of Japan is deterring us away with weather. So Japan was chilling out. They're super happy about it. And a few years later on, the Mongols attacked again. Even bigger, dude. They, so they had like what? Like 30,000? 30, 30 to like 50,000. So they, so they the went back, time. licked their wounds, you know. Yeah. Like re, six, you six, know. six years later, they're like, they're like, we're coming back fucking hard on you, Japan. Like, we're coming back with 140,000 people. Yeah. Japan, you may have won this first round, but I'm back for round two. And it's not gonna go the same way it did before. I got a lot more friends with me, and we're gonna win this time. Yeah, so Japan was like super outnumbered this time, and this and this was actually when they started to kind of like go back and focus on like trying to develop more advanced fighting techniques, like pretty much on the fly. And it was actually during this particular war with the Mongols that they invented the most famous of samurai weapons, the katana, baby. Mm, What's a katana? The, the sword of choice of the samurai. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting in like in many, many years of samurai history, the katana actually didn't really exist. But like the whole idea of the katana was that since it's at an angle, you can pull it right out of the sheath and get a, and get a, a slice on your enemy like right away. Off, oh. the, off the top, one strike, think! Yes, that's right. By the way, download one strike. It's a great game. It's really fun. It's Only like $1. made of the finest of steels. Yes. Uh, not one dollar anymore. I've been trying to buy it for months. Five bucks, bro. Bro, but, it's I mean, worth it. It's, it's worth, worth it. it. It's worth it. Get one strike on on Nintendo Switch. Yeah, you can it. get <laughs> mad for five dollars. <laughs> yeah. You can get mad at all your friends for five. It's a great game, actually. One strike. It is. Really I mean, it's fun, but you're gonna get. Uh, Irritated. Yeah. Um, so even with the further developments with the Japanese military, what ultimately defeated the Mongols the second time was yet another typhoon, another which cut off their entire naval army. And you can imagine to the Japanese, two fucking typhoons in a row really kind of reinvigorated their sense of national pride. Uh, to the Japanese, to me, what the fuck? Are that you kidding wild. me? Yeah. Two different Mongol invasions, two different typhoons winning the battle for you? That is yeah. kind of like some divine intervention shit. I can see why you would be sold on that. I'm sorry. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, of course, like if you see like this big existential threat both times wiped out by nature... 
It seems like God's interfering there, baby. They were fighting a good fight, but they were losing, and boom, Typhoon again. Yeah. (laughs) What? (laughs) So just a quick shout out, uh, because this is a very kind of like current thing. Um, This is a time period that, of course, the hit video game Ghost of Tsushima takes place. Oh, the 13th uh. century during the Mongol, the second Mongol invasion? Uh, I don't know exactly. What do you mm. got? I haven't played the game. You guys have actually played I don't it. know anything about this We got game. some nerds here. Play Ghost of Tsushima. I heard it's a great I game. I mean, I'm, I'm not really like a gamer dude like that, but and I waited. I slept on the game for a long time. Uncle Kyle's drifted back into a slumber, or he'd probably have some heat. Yeah, this, but, but. but when I did play it, I was like, what the fuck? Why did I not play this before? Why did I not buy this game when it first came out? Like, I was upset. So, Good Times Killing Us Game Rex, One Strike, and Ghost of Tsunami. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Two. There we go. Those are the best Japanese, like, like games that will kind of give you a, uh, a glimpse into this particular time yeah, period, honestly. Get you, get you One Strike, get you Ghost Did of Tsunami. Did you Tiramisu. say One Strike is giving them a good glimpse into <laughs> this period of Japan? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, a little bit Absolutely. of one. Where else are they going to get one? With the uni. (laughs) (laughs) We got a demon. They had demons back then. I mean, literally, they got the I mean, you have to fight a demon ghost of Tsushima. Like, I remember me and my brother were playing it, like, late at night, and I had to fight a demon, and I pieced him up real quick. And my brother was like, oh, my God. Yeah, so get Ghost of Okinawa, get one strike. And then everyone stood up and clapped. There we go. they did. So, in the ashes of the Mongol invasion, uh, Japan had become super broke from trying to fund their whole war effort against the Mongol invasion, which eventually led to the overthrow of the Kamakura Shogunate. Despite the intense hit from the war with the Mongols and the overthrow of the former leadership, Japan saw a huge period of immense prosperity as their population just started skyrocketing and they developed more and more advanced means of farming and new forms of Buddhism uh, has spread to the country. So pretty much like they saw these divine winds and they were like, you know what? We the best. <laughs> like we about to overpopulate the fuck out of this country. I yeah. So they're like, yo, bit. we got divine intervention. Let's start fucking. Pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. They're just like, yo, let's fuck and let's farm and let's, <laughs> let, let's make it honest guys. Right. <laughs> yeah. Let's invent Zen Buddhism. <laughs> let's fuck around and find out. Let's, let's really get it popping off in here. So, despite this period of restoration, a series of rebellions and battles between factions in the North and South ushered in what is known as the Muromachi period between the 14th and 17th centuries, which, while still extraordinarily prosperous, saw a near-constant state of civil war between daimyos who no longer pledged allegiance to the shogunate. Yeah, yeah, daimyos are just fucking straight-up warlords now. So, like, wherever you go, you got some fucking douchebag, entitled-ass warlord trying to get things going more in his direction, trying to get his region going more. It's really kind of like, we're really feudal now. And samurai fighting all over the place. And I think this is a time period that, like, a lot of Japanese, like, cinema and, like, period pieces and, and games or whatever all take place. This is a very popular period in terms of, like, uh, Japanese media. Because there's a billion stories to be told. There's a billion fucking uh, fights to be had in this time period. Yeah. It was just all-out civil war for about 200 years. Dude. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> um, and this time period is also where we saw the rise of the famous ninjas who would operate as part assassin, part spies, as they gathered intelligence about other factions. So, like, they weren't only just, in, like, incredible fighters, but they had, like, this whole espionage system going on as well. Yeah, it was kind of like some Game of Thrones uh, uh, servant of many-faced god shit. They would, like, really dress up. There wasn't this real, at that time, like, that ninja. The ninja they were, like, CIA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There wasn't this, like, black-suited ninja thing. They would dress up as merchants or as... Uh, 
with uh, uh, regular farmers or whatever to get information, and they would do assassinations, and uh, it, it that grew into something else, which we could probably do a whole they learned, episode yeah, about. They learned, like, so, yeah. local dialects, like, you know, they, they, they went well, in, they, they did developed, like, technologies, like, stuff that had never been seen before, smoke bombs, you yeah. know, you have the, uh, the kunai, and, um... You know, and, and clans like, of their whole own, like that. That stuff is like the ninja shit is a whole other thing that yeah, I would it love could, to talk about. It could be a whole other episode, but uh, <laughs> like, yeah. Really. But that's a, that's another one of those fascinations that like got me into uh, J- Japanese culture and stuff. Just like the uh, romanticization of of ninjas and shit. But like, oh yeah, I mean, like who did like who as a kid didn't want to be a ninja? Like that was something that was cool. I remember when I was younger, I was probably like. I, I want to say like ten or eleven. You played I, Pirates versus Ninjas. Yeah, you know? look, yeah, I was dressed Gaiden, up as ninja a ninja Gaiden, what was that, for Halloween. What was that? Uh, that sh- uh, that movie in the nineties, like Surfing Ninjas or whatever. <laughs> no, no, it was, it was like the three white kids, Cowboys that, versus Ninjas. No, 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 three ninjas, three ninjas, three ninjas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that shit was amazing. Yeah, ninjas yeah. became. I mean, like Mortal Kombat is mostly like ninjas. And no, Samurai, but for right? real, like, do y'all remember a movie like from two thousand six to two thousand seven called like Cowboys versus Ninjas? No, no, it was Cowboys versus Aliens. Oh, it was there was a movie like Cowboys versus Ninjas, and and like one of the taglines in the trailers was just some fucking Clint Eastwood rustled cowboy saying. Ninjas, <laughs> damn! You know, it's like you know, like a cowboy would know what. Like if a cowboy saw a ninja, they'd be like, "Oh, I know who that is." <laughs> like that was like the line from the like movie to sell you on it. Ninjas, damn! <laughs> like yeah, what else do you need to say? Cowboys versus ninjas. Yeah, like, there it is. <laughs> who? I mean, uh, you know, they wouldn't have existed around the same time. Actually, I was about to say maybe they did, but they did not. It's it's interesting actually. The ninjas are like such a big part of like our kind of it was, cultural it was, zeitgeist. Hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. It was called the. Warrior's Way, and it came out in 2010. No, no what? Yep. I need to hear Ninja's Dam. Hold on. Like, literally, that was one of confirm. the... Can you confirm Ninja's Here's Dam? the trailer for it right here. All right. A legendary assassin. I must go, or you will all be in danger. Betrayed by his clan. Fellas like you and me, we don't run. Ninja's Dam. There was no cat. I was like, I was like, no, that can't be real. I didn't. It's not that I didn't believe you, but I was just like, no fucking way, no way. It was like that on the nose, and and like, no, you remember that to the T. I used to say it all the time. (laughs) They sold the whole movie on just those. A ninja's day, and it's not even like a like a a good looking cowboy. It's like a like a fucking prospector, (laughs) crazy old dude, just like ninjas. Damn, that's our new Ram Ranch. (laughs) Ninjas. Damn. <laughs> All right, so to kind of wrap up what we're talking about with ninjas, it is important to know that, for one, even though ninjas are like such a big part of like our cultural zeitgeist, they only really existed for about 200 years. And two, nobody fucked with ninjas. Yeah. Like, they were super, uh, like, dishonorable. Like, they were considered super dishonorable. Hated like, samurai. in the nation, yeah. Yeah. 
They're fucking everything up. I mean, it makes sense when you think yeah, you're about doing it. You're sneaky shit. You're fucking not dying honorably when you're caught. Like, you know, this is some bullshit. This is some, some human bullshit as far as samurai are considered. Yeah, are, samurai are concerned. and ninjas were like total opposites. Mm. I mean, although I, I believe some samurai might become ninjas if they became a ronin and maybe converted, but that would be through a kind of weird system of like class, you know, maneuvering. Um, but to only add fuel to the fire of the civil war that was raging throughout Japan, um, Japan would see its first introduction to Europeans when the Portuguese landed on a small southern island called Kangagashima in the year 1543. The Portuguese introduced new technology to the Japanese, most notably the musket, and just a decade later, it's estimated that the various factions of feudal Japan had become armed with over 300,000 muskets. Yeah, so the Portuguese came in there and they're like, yeah, check this thing out. It goes, Gratatata. Yeah, so they're already like these like super warriors. No, it goes, <laughs> And then, they should go, 35, 35 minutes of just pumping powder down a barrel. Yeah, even at this time, like, the samurai were like, yeah, 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 like, that's dope. We can definitely use that, but, like, we're still using swords. Like, yeah. we, we don't have time to reload this bullshit all the this time. This katana shit just started popping off, and it's pretty sweet, dude. Yeah, yeah while yeah. you're reloading, we're decapitating. We're sh- yeah, they're all cap, decap, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, all cap. All cap. So on the heels of all the Civil War, one of the most famous and often depicted periods of Japanese history was during the Izuki Momoyama period around the second half of the 17th century, which saw the rise of one of the most infamously vicious daimyo warlords in Japanese history, Oda Nobunaga, who wanted to finally reunify Japan under his rule. I heard that like this guy pops up in a lot of like uh, fictional uh, games and like stories about Japan. Yeah. He's just like a he's a real person that really exists. Yeah, yeah. As a daimyo. I mean, they, they always portray him as like a demon king. Yeah, because he was. Like, I mean, just so he gnarly. was. Yeah, he was a real life fucking demon. Not to be the not shit to be, that he did was terrible. Not to be a, a dumb bro, but it sounds like Odu Nobunaga was pretty gnarly. Yeah, he was a goddamn demon. Like he was a goddamn demon. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was. He was on a noble path at least. He was really trying to reunify Japan. He was like, no, I'm gonna be the one. Uh, but this guy was. Yeah, he was kind of an asshole. So he was really known for his intense and ruthless persecution. Well, dude, when you're trying to fucking stomp out feudalism and unify a fucking nation, you're gonna crack a couple eggs. You he, gotta. He, he reminds me a lot of the Mongolians, like where they they wanted to unify the world by any means necessary. And they did it. I mean, they they fought. They fought dirty, and they killed, and murdered, and raped, and pillaged. Well, that was one of the big things with the a, Mongols, right? Is like they raped across like all the you know all the places they conquered. They they raped, and so they a lot have, of us uh, might still have Mongolian like, yeah like, lineage you know, ancestry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're a fan of the Mongolians, you probably love Thanos. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, honestly, <laughs> Thanos didn't unify the world. He destroyed half of the universe for the greater good. Yeah, yeah. So Nobunaga was known particularly for his intense and ruthless persecution of Buddhists, who, ironically, despite their peaceful religion, had armies of devoted and powerful monks trained in the martial arts. For, so, for one, this was an all-out genocide of the Buddhists, but the Buddhists. These were hard-ass Buddhists. So that's the crazy thing about monks. Yeah, is these like, were they, monks. they are like, the, they, they're these peaceful people. They're like, oh, it's self-defense, whatever. But they are the toughest motherfuckers, dude. Yeah. So, like, early on, a big reason for that was just because, like, the Buddhist monks, they were very faithful people. They really believed in, like, what they were doing. They believed in their philosophy. But they were also living in the middle of fucking feudal Japan. <laughs> so they were like, okay, if we're going to actually, like, believe this... 
We got to get tough. Yeah, this yeah, is because they Japan. To- you got to have hands, man. Come on. Yeah. You're not going to be able to have Buddha if you don't already have them hands. Them hands. Yeah. Um, but he did straight up genocide Buddhists throughout the country. Like, that was kind of, that's kind of the main point of why he's often depicted as such an evil figure. Despite kind of being a major figure in the reunification of Japan, he's considered like a pretty gnarly guy because he straight up genocided people ruthlessly. So take out the, the most peaceful but strongest people that could, yeah. you know, possibly, you know, cause a threat. Pure strategy, not thinking about like the human impact of that at all. Yeah. Just like I gotta do what I gotta do to get to it. And also, he was so ruthless that even though he wasn't Christian, Nobunaga also encouraged sympathy for his persecution of Buddhists to the European traders who were still coming through. And the European traders actually ended up siding with Nobunaga by giving him preferential treatment for muskets, uh, training how to use muskets, so Nobunaga could just go off and kill as many of these heathen Buddhists as possible. Yeah, so he wouldn't he wouldn't like play of like allegiance to Jesus or anything to these like you know Dutch people or whoever but he'd be like hey man like I got all these fucking Buddhists like fuck these guys right am I right well it's like my enemy's enemy is my ally yeah yeah, like, yeah. Totally like, you know he's like hey can I get a couple muskets for these Buddha loving guys out here man like I don't which is so anything. weird because they're like so like while we're giving you like you ever think like while they're handing them off the muskets they're like so uh, Nobunaga so what's your religion you're a follower of Jesus Christ as you well. want to talk about Jesus right and he's like I, I, let me let me just give me the <laughs> Let me yeah. just fucking handle this first. He's like, yeah, yeah, sure, and, sure, whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. we'll talk about all that. Yeah, He's we'll like, talk yeah, about. We that. both hate Buddhists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Don't worry about that. But we we both hate Buddhists, right? And they're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, you for right, sure, you right. for sure, for sure. Um, but also honorable mention. It was also during this period that Oba Nobunaga himself would meet Yasuke, the infamous. Well, not even infamous, just straight up famous. African samurai. A legend, right? Yeah, what a story. So this actually happened, I believe, as far as I know. Is maybe this, it, no, it, I mean, it's it's historically proven. Like, there's there's records. I know that. Samurai. I'm just wondering if he's the first foreigner from Japan to pretty much achieve this, like, kind of level of integration within their warrior culture. I don't know, but... I don't know about that, but he was definitely the first uh, African <laughs> samurai, yeah. the only yeah. African samurai. Yeah, so I believe like uh, does you anyone... tell me I can fit in in this thing in the samurai thing. You I don't know, know about today. Uh, uh, back then, yeah, definitely. I don't think uh, any of us could really fit in yeah. today. No, so Nobunaga would have vibed with your boy. Are Nobunaga. We... That was the thing about Nobunaga. He vibed with everyone. If you had worth, he wanted you. Yeah. Um, and he was really known for like ta- actually promoting really talented samurai regardless of their formal social status. That was like a big part of like his whole system. And this also included another very important figure, Toyotomi Hideyoshi. Well, didn't you say with Nobunaga that like uh, there was a, some story about like some beggar who like was trying to beg from him? It's like a, da- a daimyo. Yeah. Well, it was yeah Toyotomi Hideyoshi. Uh, yeah, he was the one. He was a beggar. Yeah. And he was begging for him as Nobunaga was coming through his town, and Nobunaga thought it was so wild that this dude had the balls He's like, Yo. to beg for him. He was like, like you know come into my service. And it ended up being like one of his most successful generals in his army. Check He's out like, the bulls on this guy. You're going to ask me for something. Right yeah, yeah. Are you, you dead ass right now? You're going to ask right me for something. Okay, hey. Get, set Stop him up. Stop talking. Hey, shut up. Stop talking real quick. Set this guy up with a room. Uh, I'll talk to you later. 
Yeah. Um, but but despite, like, I mean, as you can imagine, though Nobunaga was a very powerful military leader, he did develop a few enemies while he was doing everything. He was actually betrayed and murdered, and his whole castle was burned down, um, kind of in the middle of this whole situation. But Hideyoshi, that guy who was just a beggar that became basically a samurai, managed to kind of weasel his way into a position of uh, being the new leader of Nobunaga's forces. Because basically he killed the guy... The guys that killed Nobunaga started from the bottom. Now we here. Yeah. Some, yeah. Some and people, honestly, like I, I wouldn't even say he weaseled his way. Like he yeah, really, he fucking earned that shit, dude. He well, was. He like, had to kill some people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, he yearned took to, a little bit earned of through battle, brother. Yeah. He took a little that, bit yeah. of begging, but he became <laughs> he became a notable samurai. And like when Nobunaga's own people killed him, and, and amongst all this fucking this. Uh, Civil War or whatever rivalry. Yo, and that was smart he, on Nobunaga's he, part because, like, he literally took like some dude and made him from a peasant, gave him basically the world. Like, how do you like take like that? That's a that's a ride or die for life. Yeah, yeah, like, that, yeah, that, that yeah. dude's loyalty. never betraying. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, his yeah. loyalty is always to you, no yeah, matter so, what. So he, he can win even when Nobunaga was assassinated by his own people. Hideyoshi carried out his vision yeah. still. So it like it was a fail altogether. Yeah, it was like Nobunaga, but toned down just a little bit because Hideyoshi had a little bit more of a diplomatic touch. He was able to kind of like work through things a little bit more in a, in a clever way that wasn't based on sheer brutality because Nobunaga already did like the real brutal shit. Mm. Um, so Hideyoshi eventually actually became recognized as the Imperial Minister of Japan by the Emperor. Like he couldn't be the head of the Shogunate because he wasn't fully related to the, I believe it was the Tokugawa clan, um, but he was able to basically become the most powerful man in all of Japan. Well, he was a people's person. He came from the lowest of the low. Like, he he, he went up through the ranks, so he had every aspect of it, so he was able to relate. Toyotoma Hideyoshi, a real warrior's warrior. Yeah. yeah. He's a warrior's warrior, baby. A real boy's boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he was like, he was like, all right, if we're going to like, actually, he did eventually succeed in unifying the nation, but he knew that if he really wanted to keep the peace, can't have any more war. We got it. So he actually, um, decided to take the weapons away from like pretty much everybody throughout all of Japan. He was like, no more swords unless you're a samurai and no longer can anybody declare any type of war besides me. Yeah, I'm the only daimyo that can, like, you know, say what's what. No weapons. Like, I don't want no guns. I don't want no fucking katanas. Like, only the samurai can have that shit. Yeah. And, uh, and I think we're gonna shut this shit down, baby. Yeah. So you gotta have a license for this, this shit. Yeah. Like... You got to be licensed out here. You got to be a licensed right. samurai to own this. This is what I'm talking katana. about. They're trying to take our guns, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. During this time period, like all the Japanese people are just like they're taking our, our katanas. It's bullshit. <laughs> I'm gonna bury my katana in the backyard <laughs> when these libs come through to try to take my katana. I wish they would. You can take it from my cold dead hands. Yeah, like like uh, Japanese citizens with like a come and get it flag like, <laughs> yeah. outside of their house or whatever. <laughs> Um, but Hideyoshi, I mean... Uh, I mean, they came and got it, though. Yeah, they came and got it, and things started to get a little bit more peaceful. But Hideyoshi is a guy who's been raised in warfare his entire life. He's in, in command of a country that has known warfare for 250 years. So instead of kind of chilling out and letting things kind of uh, get peaceful... He decides that it would be a good idea to invade China for some reason. Yeah, yeah, fuck China uh, 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 through Korea. Yeah, he was like, you know what? Fuck China. China. (laughs) And he actually, what's crazy is he uh, initially he uh, he was sending like he was in communication with Korea, saying, "Hey, Korea, like 
We're, we're trying, about to fuck China. Yeah, we're trying to invade China, but like, y'all are chill. Just let us come through, man. No big deal. Just let us come through, baby. And Korea was, just was like, no, and left them on red. Mm, and then Japan, I move. mean, yeah, Hideyoshi yeah. was not having it. And this was like, I think a lot of people can kind of consider this like an egotistical move. Like, this was not really necessary. No, he had to make his own mark on the world. He yeah. was, he, he followed at the tail end of Nobunaga's mark of his world. And was able to come into that, and like he had to be remembered for something. So like he, you know, he had to go out and get China or would expand the empire of Japan. Like, what if I could already unify Japan? Why not just expand the whole thing? So after years of failed attempts at trying to move through Korea and the eventual death of Hideyoshi, who was becoming increasingly insane, the 17th century finally saw the unification of Japan. After he died, his political successors were like, "All right, let's get the fuck out of Korea," and finally. Chill the fuck out. Let's just worry about ourselves for a bit, right? Yeah. So basically, like, what happened was Hideyoshi had a son, but he was way too young to actually hair control the country. So before he died, he had actually uh, organized a group of five elders who were supposed to look after his son until he could run the country. But most of them were just like, no, 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 fuck that. So the most rich and powerful of them moved his way up into being, like, the de facto new leader. And his name was Eiyasu Tokugawa, who became the leader of the new Tokugawa shogunate that started in the year 1615 and would go on to be in political control of the country for another 250 years. And welcome to the Edo period. Yes, so we're here. This is the period that is probably the most recognizable in like any type of like Japanese period piece movies. When you think about like traditional Japanese culture, more than likely you're thinking about the Edo period of Japan. Yeah. Unless there's constant fighting and it, it takes place during the Civil War, it's this period. And this is where a lot of the things that we associate with Japan kind of really come from. Uh, so the Edo period was named after the capital city of the country, which was Edo, which is actually modern-day Tokyo. And it would become the most prolonged period of actual peace in Japanese history. Yeah, over 250 years of peace. So we're fucking focusing on art, culture again. Shows, fucking, uh, all types of different stuff. We're not really worrying with each other as the country. I mean, there's a little, little, uh, skirmishes going on, you know, between, like, you know, uh, daimyos, samurai, and and also people that would hire samurai still if there were, like, little, I mean, there's always gonna be little problems. There's gonna be a little problem. There's gonna be a little bit of crime. You're gonna have a little bit of crime. There was crime. But, I mean, as far as things were before this, like, feudal Japan, this is fucking lovely. We're writing poems again, baby. And another thing that they did to, like, really try to secure the peace was they completely locked off the country. Nobody could come in and nobody could go out. Yeah. Except with a little bit of interaction here and there with the Koreans and the Chinese, but also, interestingly enough, um, the Dutch, who were able to visit this really tiny island in southwestern Japan where they could still exchange weapons, art, and books with the Japanese. So this is the only little touch that Europe had when they were peak European colonization. Yeah, yeah, so we're completely shut down at this point. Shut it down, no one coming in and out. We're uh, chilling. And then the island where the Dutch were allowed to, like, trade and stuff, this is little fucking, or not island, this little fucking port city called Dejima, which I wanted to get a lot more information about, but from what I've heard, it was a pretty rough spot. Like, it was a little wooden fucking uh, town that was all of two acres, 
and people would have to like stay there. They were like locked there, like uh, while they were in port trading stock. I've heard Bro, they were as... quarantined. Yeah, pretty there. much. They were like, like quarantined there. Yeah, no, legitimately. Stuck. Like, yeah. and it was not a good time. Yeah, <laughs> they'd be like, "Hey, well, what about Jesus, Jesus?" And they'd be like, "No, fuck you," and just like pull some bars over. And by what I've heard, it sounded like kind of like going to prison, where the only like reason you would go there is just because you know you're gonna make. Some good money, baby. And you better be damn sure you don't bring a Bible on your ship because you could get in a lot of trouble for that type of shit at yeah. this time. Like, you know, this is exact. They're like, here, the the Dutch are pretty fucking cool. Yeah, like, the that's Dutch why they were the only way. Like, we talked about the Dutch on our fucking Thanksgiving episode. Like, the Dutch were notoriously like they were the chill, like kind of hipster dudes. Uh, well, not even hipsters because they were like not. They were nice. They're just <laughs> laid back as yeah. fuck, and they're and pretty like welcoming to things. So, like, that's probably the only reason why the Dutch were allowed to like come but even they were under strict strict like protocols when they were like trading in down so like in not, so you don't think like any of the, the dutch didn't like come there and they were like you know what i like this place let me let me stay no they had no that's not happening you're in dejima in this two acre spot for like uh you know a small amount of time while you're here and you're getting the fuck out of japan they had some very small exceptions occasionally where they would like in- invite dutch people to like sing and dance as entertainment actually for people because it was basically like hey look at the crazy like let me see what the legs do let me see what the clogs do real quick exactly (laughs) you know they would like let them sing like their language and dance but it was all kind of like a ha ha stupid you know they're like like, oh this is gonna help business is gonna be (laughs) booming baby yeah it was it was entertainment and this time you're trying to get entertained baby you don't have a war to worry about anymore you're trying to find any reason to be entertained um but also uh, to, to kind of go back into the area of the samurai, since Japan was no longer riddled with any form of war, despite like 250 years of being a purely warfaring nation, the samurai class became completely bureaucratic. They got involved more with politics. They weren't really doing battle anymore because there was just no reason to be constantly training and preparing for warfare when there's not even a war to fight. Everyone's just pretty much on the same page, really, at this point. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the samurai just know that they run shit, but... By what I've understand, they were kind of considered cops. Like they were, they would yeah, be dickheads. That's what I'm saying. And they're like, yeah, you agree with me because like, because if, if you, you disagree, you got a problem. Yeah, sa- samurai <laughs> were, like notably like, would just like kill people, no problem. They'd yeah, just be like, oh, yeah. no, fuck you. What are you gonna do about it? Off the book, samurai would practice their newest moves on like on like it was actually like like dark roads at night was like a bad place to be because it was like known that uh, yeah, like it, you could get you could get trained on. Out, yeah. in, out on the crossroads at say, midnight, like you know, you're, and, you're, and as, you're as, the, as the police, as the fucking enforcers of this shit, like who's gonna fucking say anything about this? No, like, another you know? samurai. Then you're in battle, and like, let's who's better? Some <laughs> farmer accidentally got cut down while I was uh, working on this thing. He got too close. Yeah, yeah, he got too close. Oh, I feel you. I feel you. Yeah, That's totally I was working. You know, I was doing moves on his scarecrows and shit out in the fields, and uh, some doofy ass farmer man. I don't your daimyo was like, he walked up on your boy and yeah. scared me. You know? Your, your daimyo was just like, bro, like you've been killing so many of these peasants out of here, man. And he's just like, hey, you know what? They looked at me funny. What am I supposed to do, yeah. buddy? <laughs> you know, like I mean, you know, that, like, that's really what it was. Like it was like essentially, you have a warrior class of people who have total like, um, they're they're just. They're in peacetime. They're used to this war shit, and And now they're in peacetime. So they they're trying to expense their energy in some way, and also they don't know how else to express it. As a daimyo, you're not reporting but so much of the shit to your shogun. Otherwise, the fucking consequences are coming down on you. Why do you have so many fucking samurai running wild in your villages, dude? Like you need to get your shit. Yeah, and and the thing is, again, there are literally 
movies about this. Like this was this is a conflict that is that is depicted very often throughout like Japanese cinema was the whole issue of samurai during the Edo period. Um, but in addition to the intense isolation, Japan was also made very peaceful during the Edo period through remorseless persecution of anybody that resisted the shogunate or empire or the emperor, as people would be not only cut down by samurai, but also crucified, buried alive, or even boiled to death for any minor offense. Well, and that's where that's where I get back to the point of like redirecting their energy. Yeah. Like they're they're not in these war times now, so like this is how they I mean, in we're not so war. many words, this is how they have their phone. I and mean, honestly, a lot of other countries, even throughout this time period, were doing some really fucked up things. I mean, yeah, no, I'm not saying just them specifically. No, yeah, but no, that's, but, that's like regular shit. We're not yeah. going to we're not gonna war with uh, foreigners. We're going to create a war with, amongst ourselves, you know, to get well, this not even. Absolute energy. conformity. Don't fuck around, and yeah. we will boil you. <laughs> we're fucking boil you. We're going to boil you into a stew, bitch. We'll like, crucify you. Yeah. Jesus. And another forceful method of achieving the social order was through the relentless persecution of Christians, and not only just in the form of like the occasional European missionary that was able to kind of like get in there, but also quote unquote save Japanese citizens. Um, and there was actually an infamous method of weeding out these Japanese Christians <laughs> by placing a picture of Mother Mary on the ground and uh, asking the accused Christians to step on it. And if they just couldn't do it, <laughs> this proved that they were a devout Christian, and this could be and they could be sentenced to death. Most appropriately, of course. Dude, none other than crucifixion. I'm sorry, stop, stop, stop. So you know your life is on the fucking line. You're about to be crucified if you don't step on this picture of Mother Mary. You're just like, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do it, I can't. I'm sorry, look, throw me up, throw me up, I'm sorry, I can't that's do it. That's some hardcore-ass faith, though. Dude, dude yeah, dude, that's Christians the real deal. Christians literally, like, wake up every day hoping they're put into a situation. Dude, that's like a that. straight Honestly, ticket to heaven. Like, American Christians <laughs> literally wake up every morning like, damn, I hope some fucking colored puts a gun oh to my, my head God. and tells me I need to fucking... That's every Christian. Like, That's American I'd Christian. say about 80% of them. 80%? <laughs> I don't know. A good amount of Christians. Hold on. 70, I mean, 70 million people voted for Donald Trump? Not all of them are saying coloreds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'd say probably 60 million of them I, I kind of get where nah. you're coming from, though. It's like they want to be put in that situation, so they're like, I choose... God over whatever, like, and then I get sent to the place I'm hoping for. I mean, the entire religion is based around like a martyr. It's all based around a guy who is just like, yeah, kill me. Like it's all good. So like that's yeah. a major aspect exactly. of it. And it kind of worked well, even with like you got to think of, like the lower peasants of Japanese society who hear the stories about samurai who kind of have that same relentless faith for their ideology as well. Like they'll fucking like kill themselves if there's a dishonor. So the Christians are like, yeah, like I would rather die and be persecuted by you than give up my religion. It just happens to be that it was bullshit, I guess. Because- I'm gonna get that well, yeah. straight ticket to heaven, baby. Yeah, exactly. That's a straight like that's One express way to them pearly gates. Look, look, baby, we we first class up in this. <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, if you want to see a movie about this, a historical kind of movie, you can watch Silence by Martin Scorsese and Adam Driver. It's a really good movie about like this exact situation. It's really good. Um, so this time period also saw the beginning of many staples of Japanese culture. And let's kick it off with sushi. Sushi started during the Edo period, although it was originally just hand rolls. It was a little bit different. Yeah, it was yeah. like hand rolled rice and, and, and fish and seaweed, raw fish and seaweed. And it was a straight up peasant. Uh, delicacy. Yeah. So, so why was this um, specifically because like a staple in this period? Like, was there a 
exact reason for it. Like, because I mean, I'm sure they were fishing before. They're on an island. But this is that city life. We're hustling. Yeah. We're bustling. Yeah. We need to eat on the go. Let me get my fish and the seaweed so I don't have to, to stop. Okay. Yeah, because basically this is like a. It's kind of like a sushi burrito almost, or like a sushi like drumstick. Like the, like a drumstick is in like the ice cream cone. You know. Yeah. It's just a cone with some rice around it and some fish well, and some other stuff. Y'all in it. have seen the the triangles. I I forget what it's called exactly. A rice cake. No, it's not a rice cake. I'm I can't believe I don't know what it's called. Um but it's literally a triangle. It's like rice, seaweed, fish, whatever, and like it's a on the go like type deal. You can get it at any 7-Eleven in in Japan. It's great. It's and they still make them today. Hey, I th- I think it was just mostly like a thing like they were on the go. They're like, "Hey, I'm on port. I'm gambling. I'm trying to make it to the Kabuki show. You know, I got I got shit to do. I got places to I go. Got, we got I seaweed. Got s- we got rice. We got fish. Throw it all together. Hey, there we go, baby. Stuff it down my gullet while I'm walking around around the city in the Edo period. This and, is life. And what's interesting about it is like that was how most sushi was made. Like you can still get sushi made in a hand roll pretty easily. I mean, I think most sushi places will still do that. But the reason that we have sushi the way that it is today, when you think of like um like little different pieces that all are part of a single roll that are cut apart. Even with chopstick that's just straight up bougie shit basically like you had the upper classes who saw this cool thing that the lower classes made in these sushi rolls and they're like yeah 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 but how can i make that but look really fancy doing it yeah yeah i want to i want to i want to get in on this peasant shit i don't want to eat with my hands right yeah exactly you know um and also this time like period common goofy so this time period also saw the beginning of japanese geishas who were basically like high class escorts, but didn't necessarily sleep with their clients by trade. In fact, they didn't really sleep with their clients at all, unless like, you know, they kind of got there naturally as a as a, in a relationship type yeah, of situation. Yeah, top dollar, top client type shit. Like you know, and then maybe you get a little hand job, you know, you know. Yeah, maybe you know. I mean, basically, what a geisha was was just like, hey, here's a really classy lady. She's really smart. She's all pretty and dressed up, and you're gonna look fancy if you are seen in public with her. You exactly. Know? This is just a top, a high class escort. If you really, really want to get that that certified like paid uh, <laughs> paid prostitution, you go to the Kabuki show. Yeah. So the Kabuki theater is a particularly interesting phenomenon during the Edo period. Um, Early on, the Kabuki theater consisted of just attractive young women who would, after the show... Just straight up prostitute themselves. So you get to see a show, you got to see these like basically hot girls act, and you're like, I love that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was like also like just a more fast paced type of theater than what they had before. Like it was, it was just fun. It was common, crazy. Yeah, yeah. It was real slapsticky and stuff. Like it was, it was more uh, attractable to the common person. Yes. And oh, like yeah. yeah, like we said at the end, you could just literally take home the fucking main actress. If you well, wanted. you say that you know more attractive to the common person, but like are these shows? Are they more directed towards the common person, or okay. do you have to be in that upper echelon? Yeah, Are yeah, you, you're, you're right. making that money. Like I, you're not, you're not the the I, peasants. You're I not on that listen, low level. Yeah, I listened to a, a few podcasts about about life in the Edo period, and both. So if you were like on this on this social tier, like we were talking about earlier, yeah. Most if most people like the majority of the population at this time were really just farming. Yeah, yeah. This is like like yeah. you're you're making rice. Most you're people farming. were not going to kabuki shows, but like but but in in that Edo in Edo and in the Edo period, if you were living in the city and living in Edo around this time, you were probably more uh, adapt to this social type of. Uh, uh, structure. It was like so, a cosmopolitan, like semi-elite group of people. Yeah. So I'm thinking. I mean, this is just a question here. So, like in the Edo period, 
these people that are the higher echelon, were they like like top tier warriors that made their way up? Not all of them. No, no. a lot of them is just like this is all really family related. Well, too. Well, I'm, like, I'm yeah. thinking that you're at born. Some it can point, be just landowners, like, just regular rich people as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like, how far back does that go? Or like, are you some samurai that worked for this rich family? Like, they're all died. They're they're gone. Like this family died off. But, like, you were a supreme warrior in all this shit that happened. Now you have a family lineage that survived because you're samurai. So y'all have survived. Oh, yeah. In fact, there's actually... centuries. There's actually, like, a so huge... So now you're, you are the top tier... This is a big know, problem, actually, families. because uh, there was actually a big generation... There was a big difference between, like, uh, samurai whose family lineages went back that actually allied under the Tokugawa rule, whereas there were families that, like, everybody knew their ancestry actually did not agree with the Tokugawa rule. So, like, if you were related to some guy who just made a bad decision, like, 100, 200 years ago... You're fucked. Yeah, you're done for. No one Yeah, these are right. all... Yeah, all these, all these like, uh, uh, social statuses are based on your family lineage. So... If your dad's a samurai, you can be a samurai. If your dad's a, kombu- a kabuki artisan, you will more than likely be a kabuki artisan. Anything, and anything you like, did. Yeah, yeah, whatever you did, you're just, that's what your family does. Because, like, it, you see the peasants and the merchants and all them, and you're just like, I'm going to do whatever my family's doing because we're good. Yeah, yeah, Because the vast right. majority of people are miserable. Okay, so, well, but, but how do you, do you get out of that class? Do you, like, there was not much class not. maneuverability, no. Typically no. not. So, no. like, if your dad was a fisher, you were a fisher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're a fucking did, fisher. Yeah, there's no... Fisherman, well, yeah. that, I mean, that's like feudalism, like... This isn't feudalism, but, I mean, most of... Most human cultures throughout the vast majority of human history have had very limited class mobility, and this period was basically no exception. Okay. Um, so it's also believed that the Yakuza started around this time period, although they originally consisted of people known as the Takiya, who were basically just, like, peddlers of, like, smuggled or stolen goods that add to security. Just basically, like, gangster shit, but during, like, the 17th and 18th century. Yeah, petty crime people, petty uh, people getting by by doing crimes. And and Ronin, too, uh, made up this class, too, sometimes. like Yeah. This is also the time period where seppuku really started to get formalized. And this is actually kind of interesting little side story about um, some interesting things that were going on in Japan during this time period. You, you have to think that uh, there were so many samurai who had been trained, but they were what were known as Ronin. They had no actual master um, because either the daimyo had died or because just whatever they it was. They just decided to go their own way. Yeah, they were just, and, and essentially they became just kind of broke samurai. And some of them would actually just be like, all right, fuck it. Like, I'm going to commit seppuku. So it became a thing for many samurai to like visit um, these like samurai temples where they would like in front of other samurai commit seppuku in an honorable way. But what's interesting is that there were actually samurai during this time period who would go around and like say they wanted to commit seppuku to like a daimyo. And they would just kind of expect the daimyo to take pity on them, give them alms, give them money so they could bring that money back to their families. Did this end well often? Uh, I don't really know how exactly it always ended, but there is a movie called uh, Hirikiri, or Harakiri, by none other than our boy, Takashi Miike. Shouts to my boy, Takashi Miike. <laughs> you know we had to watch a Takashi Miike epi- uh, movie for this episode. But there's a movie by him called Harikiri, um, where there is a samurai who does just that. He was like, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to kill myself, but give me some money. But they're like, no, like, yeah, we're not going to give you some money. Let's watch you kill yourself. Let's see you do it. And then the guy, like, 
the guy only has a wooden sword and he has to commit seppuku with a wooden sword because they're like fuck that Ooh, yeah what, what's that sword called again that like uh, wakasashi a uh, wakasashi yeah so his wakasashi is actually bamboo yeah we all i remember when you guys came to my house for research night i was like hey watch this fellas yeah yeah i just <laughs> yeah. came into the middle of the scene i was like okay <laughs> japan research i guess i probably watched it like three times because like you were really into it like when i got there, <laughs> there pain was like yo check this shit out and then like you got there and he was like yo check this shit out and like k-town got there he was like yo check this shit yeah, out yeah that's literally what it was yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that was pretty brutal and that was a good that that actually seen as a good example of what we were talking about earlier about because his daimyo or whoever it was i don't know if it's his daimyo or not this it's a fucking bamboo sword so it wasn't yeah. going well this is a long scene shouts to takashi miege again hey. this is a long scene of a dude trying to fucking kill himself with a bamboo sword it is brutal it's pretty yeah, brutal it and, brutal. and his daimyo or whoever has to just cut his head off yeah you can watch it right now on amazon prime harikiri by takashi miike so moving on with the history by the late 18th century disunity started to spread throughout japan as the samurai class became increasingly discontent with their pointless role in society like they were just like well i'm trained to be a fighter but what's the fucking point we're not hitting on much yeah and also more japanese people were getting an interest in dutch learning which was actually known in japan as rengaku which basically just meant that more and more Japanese citizens were like, all right, let's figure out what's going on beyond these borders, baby. Yeah, what's happening outside? Maybe maybe, maybe we shouldn't be locked up? Yeah, and just in time for everybody to get interested in the West, the United States rolled up in the mid-19th century. So the United States rolled up with their navy while they were like peak, like, capitalist takeover mode. Um, You're talking about with gunships. Yeah, they roll up and they're like, hey, guys, how about you just open here? And open they, this shit. Oh, fuck this. Open up this pit, Japan. <laughs> yeah, open this pit the fuck up. Like, they for trade. Up. Yes, for trade. <laughs> and Japan, like, they've, you know, they don't really have the same type of samurai warriors they used to have. They're not really built the same way they used to be. And they're seeing, the, they're seeing these U.S. ships with fucking cannons and shit all over them. They're like, these shits are built different. different. Yeah. Like, these shits are built different. We, yeah. We built different. <laughs> and basically, this was the first time that Japan became open in 250 years, and the Shogun just kind of let them come in at first. The Shogun were like, whatever. And because of this, as you can imagine, there were a lot of Japanese citizens who were pissed off, and dissent started to rise and rise and rise. Um, and eventually... Um, I mean, this is some stuff where we could get really into the weeds of Japanese history, but in the long run, basically what happened... Brushstrokes, baby. Yeah, brushstrokes. The emperor sided with the Westerners, a faction of loyalists to the emperor, at least side with the Westerners, and the Westerners won out and basically killed, like, a lot of the remaining samurai. And this is actually, uh, this is known as the Bushin War, and this is when the last samurai takes place. Basically... I, to, I was literally about to ask. I was yeah. like, so the movie The Last Samurai is around this time like yes. for sure yeah so that i'm tom cruise it's basically the idea of like all right here's the last remaining remnants of uh japanese samurai society but it's like hey baby these guys have revolvers now and like <laughs> gatling gun like they can like fire a lot that sword does not matter anymore and that was kind of the end of a whole period of japanese history sad sad day but also, by the way, speaking of The Last Samurai, The Last Samurai, who it's actually based off of, was a Frenchman who was allied with the British. He was not an American, as it's depicted in the Wait a second. Movie. You're telling me Tom Cruise is French? 
Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. Tom Cruise is French. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this was... And Scientology is real. <laughs> so this was this was really the end of an era. With the, the end of the samurai, things really changed. And with this newfound westernization of the country, Japan saw a massive modernization and economic boom. However, with the newfound position on the world stage, Japan would soon see the first shades of the darkest period in the nation's history. On our next episode, we'll cover the terrible history of Japan during the first half of the 20th century, a story ripe with war crimes against Koreans and Chinese involving mass genocide, infanticide, rape, mad scientists, controlled pandemics, and an alliance with the two of the most evil men of the 20th century, Benito Mussolini and Adolf Hitler. Ugh, stay tuned, guys. The next episode's gonna be a fucking doozy. Yeah. So basically, they get opened up to the West, they see that the West is on their empirical bullshit, and Japan's like, hey, you know what? We want a piece of that. Yeah, you're boys. You're boys. We're gonna buy into that. I so, think we get a piece of that. So, you Let know... So that's where we're going to wrap up for this episode. Basically, the way that we're dividing this is this episode is all about the kind of classical history of Japan. And our next episode is when we're going to get into modern Japan. Basically, Japan after about the year 1860. Um, when Japan just totally kind of shifted. Everything that you think about in terms of traditional Japan kind of started to turn into something new. And you know what? I don't really know if it's necessary for us to do our regular... Uh, good times of killing us portion. Do we need to? Uh, I don't think so. I think we want to save it. When we do two-parters, I think we usually save it for the end, right? You know, like, wrap it all up, you know? I mean, it's a weird thing to do a country in general. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, yeah. but I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to go, we don't want to go out half-cocked on this, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll save that segment for next time. Uh, make sure you follow us on Facebook at the Good Times Are Killing Us podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Good Times Killing Us podcast. No spaces there. And follow us on Twitter at Good underscore Times underscore Dead. K Town. All right, all right, guys. So, um, is that it? We wrap up. I mean, this and this is the first. I think this is one of the first two parters where, like, actually, with the Scientology one, we didn't call until the second one as well. But yeah, I no, mean, you force called it on the first one. Force called? Yeah, you force like, ghosted? No, no, no. Um, like, like we. I remember me and K down. We're like, yeah, we'll save. And you're like, no, no, no. I want to. No, 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 no. I want to say a thing here. <laughs> about know. Scientology? Yeah. In the first episode. On the Commodore. Yeah. Oh uh, well, for this one, we're not going to do on this. On this one, I mean, look. When it boils down to it, Japan up to this point, it's just a whole heritage. We can't say whether or not everything in Japan up to the 1850s was good or bad. It's a whole fucking. History of a whole damn country, and it's yeah. it's riddled with a lot of bad stuff, but it's also riddled with a lot of really interesting stuff. Same way as any other nation. Yeah, you can really. say that about anywhere. You could say that about absolutely any nation. And overall, it's a fascinating country, and its history um, before the 1850s is is just it's the, the stuff of absolute legend. Um, but yeah, in the next episode, we're gonna kind of go over some stuff that gets a lot darker. When they when Japan really joined the world stage, things really switched around but you know what it will end once again with the sun rising um over the country uh when we kind of get to where we're, they're at today right so alrighty, guys we're wrapping this thing on up uh we'll see you next time on japan part two for now i'm fucking sick of this shit i'm coming seppuku because i am <laughs> Thank you.
There's a little rascally Japanese beat us twice now thanks to the storm. But it's okay. I heard we couldn't even f with the because the f run. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you done this. <laughs> I can't believe you done this. <laughs>